Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. It's my birthday today. I'm 65 years old, and I'm, that's 246 years in dog years, if you've ever wondered. Okay, and... Uh, <laughs> uh, I never imagined how young 65 was until I got here, and I want you to know I, I didn't realize how good it would be at this age and stage of life. I, I, I you know, I, I, I guess I was, you know, wondering, but I never imagined how good it would be. If, if I had have known how good it would be today, I would not have spent one minute worrying. And I did you know, on occasion, I had some concerns what it was going to look like when I got here. You know, would I actually have finished serving my sentence? Or, you know, <laughs> would I be out by then? Uh, you know, it's, uh, but had I known how good it was going to be, through all the things that I went through and all the trouble that I caused, all the problems that I had and all the difficulties that life afforded me, if I had have known that just sticking with it and staying on the path, if, if, if I had just known how good it would be, seriously, I would have avoided worrying about it. I have a place marker in my memory, place marker of myself. Uh, you know, I think most of us do. I'm imagining most people are like me, that in your memory, you have certain place markers. Well, I, I, I have a place marker memory in my life of myself and, uh, at, at different places in life, but, but specifically, you know, at, at, at the age of about 10, I can see myself. I can remember, you know, like you can, where I was, what I was doing, what was going on whenever I had this thought, whenever I had this moment. I can go back there any time to that moment and, and realize that that was a moment in life. Something happened at that moment. And I can remember, uh, you know, uh, one of my place markers is me as a little 10-year-old boy. I, I, I remember the day it was summertime. I had on cut-off blue jeans, I, I, you know, uh, no shoes, no shirt, you know, and uh, I was out in the dirt in a field, in a potato patch beside the house we lived in. We had about a 900-square-foot house, and, you know, it was about 1964 or so, and, and uh, maybe 65, and, and, uh, uh, and I was, uh, I, 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 you know, it was potato-digging time. And uh, I think maybe that year or the next year or so, maybe even the next year, we got electricity. Somewhere in that time, we got electricity in the house. And, uh, you know, we didn't have running water, but there, there, there was a well out by the end of our little garden that we had. And, 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 and in, in this potato patch, uh, you know, it, it was the day that we had dug potatoes. If you've never had, you know, potato digging, you know, uh, you know, we, you know every year we dug potatoes. And what you would do is go out there, for those of you who may not have had that experience, and, and first thing you do, is when, when, when the vines begin to die, you know, I mean, you would, you, you'd know it's time. And you go out and pull those vines and shake them and get all the potatoes off of them. And, and then you would run a middle buster down through those rows. And, 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 and it, 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 it's like two turning plows put together. And it would throw the dirt out right in the middle of those rows. And, and the potatoes would come rolling out. And, and then you would go through, you know, th there that day I was there on, you know, in, in, in about ankle deep dirt, you know, in that hot sand. And, uh, you know, this, 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 this just a little knothead boy with so much energy. 
I had so much energy that when I went into the house, uh, you know, my, my mom, before I sat down at the kitchen table, uh, she would make me get up and go and run around the house a few times because I was so energetic. And, and, and then if I sat down and I still couldn't be quiet or be still, she'd tell, okay, son, go out and go around the house five more times. And I'd get up and go out and run around, around, around the house five more times and come in and sit down until I could finally contain myself where the family could actually eat without me knocking something over or being jittery or too loud or something. I always imagined she was just stirring up my appetite, but she was actually trying to wear me down. But there on that day, I was in about ankle deep dirt and I, I, was, I was, you know, running my fingers through there like pitchforks, you know, trying to get those potatoes. And, and I saw a scissor-tailed bird. Y'all know what a scissor-tailed bird is? You know, those gray birds got that big old scissor. I saw him flying by and I remember, boy, I got me a potato just about good size and I just hurled it up there, you know. My mama got on to me, you know. Uh, and <laughs> She was always trying to encourage me to do a little better in life. Out there by that well, there was a pear tree at the end of that garden. And it was under that pear tree where my mama led me to the Lord and told me about a loving Jesus that had a plan for my life and changed my life as a little boy. It was about that time in life, uh, oh, about 10 years old, you know, between my 10 and 11 years old, that my mom was finally willing to let me get out of her sight a little bit you know she was always afraid of you know and rightly so concerned about what I was going to do or what I was going to tear up or get into or get off you know so she kept you know a pretty good watch on me all the time and uh, and uh, so she would just let me venture out a little bit more. And, and so one of the things I like to do in the summertime is, is I like to get together with a couple of friends because we lived down this long dirt road way, you know, back. And we, we had no neighbors. There were no neighbors for, you know, a long ways. But, but uh, in, in the summertime on a Sunday, if mama would let me, I could walk up that dirt road and I could turn and go down Highway 67 and go down to the First Baptist Church in Sims, Texas on a Sunday morning. And normally I could find two other friends friends there. One of them name was Donald Glenn McDonald and the other one's name was David Mears. You know, and I would get to go in and sit in Sunday school. We would get to, you know, and in Sunday school, uh, my Sunday school teacher was named Lenoy Johnson. He didn't have a thumb. And I was always interested. I'd sit there and I'd just look and watch and see, you know, how he held that quarterly and read from it. And, you know, uh, then we, we would, you know, go to church and I'd get to play afterwards. Well, I, I, I was, uh, you know, I was not born uh, with, with a gift of enjoying reading or studying. You know, some people have that gift. Uh, I, I didn't. Um, you know, uh, I had a hunger to learn, though. One of the things that I was born with was this insatiable desire to learn. I wanted to know stuff. But learning stuff for me didn't seem very easy. It just didn't come along natural. And I, I'm not a natural reader. You know, I, I don't like to read. I have to read, and I, and I get to read, and I read, you know, hours and hours and hours every week because of the, the, the responsibility that I have. But I was not born a natural reader, and I did not get the gene of study. You know, I got the gene of play and, you know, and, and uh, you know, go out, you know, and just do stuff. But I learned early on that, the way I learned was listening so that if I could get in a place where somebody was talking, where somebody was telling something, you know, whether it was a lecture class, you know, I, I gravitated toward lectures because, boy, if I, if I could just listen to it, you know, uh, you know, movies, tapes, you know, tapes on book, 
You know, I mean, I still do that. You know, I, I, I still, I mean, if, you know, if I get somebody to read to me, you know, in fact, if you want to give me a birthday present, I got several books I've started. I'm about four pages into each one of them. And if I get somebody to read to me, I'm really interested in what happens. But, you know, <laughs> but I love to listen to learn. It seems when I listen, and, you know, I'm certain that there's some diagnosis. Uh, uh, Rodney, you could probably diagnose me. I, I, I'm, I have some, you know, you know, recognizable learning disability, but nobody's ever told me what it is, so I don't know. So if you tell me what it is, you know, I'll, I'll listen, then I'll know, and I'll have, but, but I love to listen. And so, uh, you know, uh, just in my studies, I did it again yesterday for hours. You know, I did it Wednesday. I'll do it again Wednesday and again next uh, week for hours. I get, I get by myself in a quiet place, and, and I I, you know, get what I want to study, and I read it to myself out loud. I just read out loud. I, I don't know. I, I have joked that I love to hear myself talk, but, but, uh, but I actually somehow you really uh, seem to grasp it. Because when I hear something, it seems to set me to thinking. And then I start thinking, and my thoughts seem to really, you know, come alive. I, 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 I you know, maybe that's one of the reasons why I love to tell stories. Just imagining that, that you are also getting a picture. Well, you know, when I would go to church as a little boy, there were two things that I enjoyed about big church. There were probably about 40 to 50 people on a good Sunday in that First Baptist Church in Sims, Texas. And, and us boys, you know, we would sit back here on the back row and, and normally some older lady, you know, older being probably 21, 22 at that time. <clears throat> you know, I don't know. They all looked old to me. And uh, <laughs> normally one of them would have to move back there, you know, on the row, you know, in front of us or, 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 or on the row with us and shush us. Sometimes they'd pinch us, you know. Where did that come from? When did it stop that you had a right to pinch other people's kids, you know? <laughs> didn't seem to be a problem with my parents, though. They didn't mind. But, uh, but you know, two things, however, they didn't have to, you know, worry about me with. Number one was the singing. I loved the singing. Woo, the singing was good. I would sing. I'd, some songs I knew real loud because those songs told stories. I love that, that ballad type of hymn that, 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 that tells a story that I can get into, you know. Uh, and it just seems like, oh, man, it's, it's, it's a story that I can remember and I can, I can relive when I get out. And then a second thing was whenever it came time for the preacher to preach, if he started telling a story, wow. You know, now, I didn't have a Bible, didn't take a Bible. I didn't, I didn't you know, I mean, that, that, that wasn't a reality. I had to walk a long way to get to church and then play in afterwards. Who wants to keep up with the Bible? But, but boy, if he started telling a story, man, I was, I was glued on, and I'd, even, I'd, I'd shush my friends. Well, I can remember my mind goes to certain place markers just like yours does. And, and, and I can remember a preacher. He opened up to Matthew chapter 5 and he started telling a story. And when he was telling a story, he was telling a story about the Sermon on the Mount. And he began to paint this picture of what it looked like on that shore of the Galilee, he began to talk about how, how um, 
you know, how the multitude was sitting on the hillside and, and you know, and Jesus was there and there, and there was probably 5,000 people and I'm just glued to it. I'm just trying to imagine. He's painting a picture here on a hillside and there's a sea and there's 5,000 people and Jesus is talking and I'm thinking, I'm trying to wonder, okay, how did everybody hear him? I'm, you know, I mean, I'm just, you know, I, I just love that. I love to just get, okay, what, now what does that mean? What does that look like? You know, just turn it over in my head kind of thing. And then he began to read. And, and as he began to read, he started saying, blessed are those, blessed are they, blessed are, blessed, blessed, blessed. And first of all, I thought blessed was kind of a, you know, an interesting word. Why not blessed? But blessed, it's, it's blessed evidently. And I just kind of stopped right there as he was going, blessed, blessed, blessed. And it put me into a thought, and I got to wonder, I wonder how many blesseds there are there. So I got to trying to rehearse them in my mind. You know, you know how you go back to a moment, and you see yourself, you know, in a certain place, you know, and, and then thinking, what did, you know, what, you know, how many of these are there? Now, I don't know what else he said, because I was trying to get this rehearsed. If I could hear it, and I could repeat it to myself enough times, and I could remember it. And I knew that that would help me, because I was never going to crack the book. You know, it just probably wasn't going to happen. So anything that I needed to know, I needed to have up here. And that was just my world at that moment. And so, uh, uh, you know, blessed, blessed, blessed. I got to wondering about it and thinking about it so many times. And so, uh, so often, so much there in that time that I, I, I finally down there, somebody had a Bible and I got them to get me that Bible, which was odd, stuck out in my brain because now you know, this is not me going to get a Bible and open up a Bible in the middle of church. You know, this is like being a real Christian or something, you know. And that's just, you know, what I look. And I counted them. Just to let you know, there are nine blessed. Jesus said blessed nine times in that Sermon on the Mount. Wow. Uh, blessed, 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 blessed. Well, I got to thinking. And since then, I've thought a lot about it as well. You know, uh, if I want a blessing, and I want to be blessed, and I need to be blessed, you know, here, here are nine ways that I can get some of those blessings. Well, through the years, you know that uh, I've traveled to Israel quite a number of times, and many of you have gone with me, and 50 more of you are going with me this coming year in June, and, and uh, I've, I've, I've taken, you know, groups of Baptist pastors from our local community on their, you know, introductory pilgrimage. Uh, I, I've, I've led groups of clergy from literally around the nation uh, to, to their, on, on their pilgrimage, uh, you know, introducing the Holy Land to them, and every time I go by that Mount of Beatitudes in the Galilee, and I go up there, and many of you have been with me. You know what we do. We go up there on the Mount of Beatitudes, and we sit down together, and one by one, we begin to read Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7 together. We'll do it again this year. We take the time needed. It's a very moving and powerful and picturesque a very important moment, a very spiritual moment as we read together this Sermon on the Mount. This picture that that preacher painted for this little boy, I have seen it unfolding time and time again. I'm so thankful that God has given us opportunity to hear His Word and then to realize it's really there.
Wow. Well, you know, I, I don't know what God has planned for me the rest of my life. But I know he has a plan. And I know that it's going to unfold according to his word and his will. And I know that he has this, this awesome you know, desire to see each one of us paint a picture of his kingdom. Paint a picture of his truth in our lives. I want to thank my parents this morning, my mom and my dad, for giving me life. You know, life gave me the chance to know Jesus. And it gave uh, Jesus a chance to make me really live. And in light of the blessings that I have enjoyed during these past 65 years, allow me, if you will, to share three things from this Sermon on the Mount this morning. Three things that have shaped my life in these past 55 years. Today I'm 65 and in my best recollection, about 55 years ago, 54 and a half or so, this particular picture became real to me. So allow me, if you would, to share three things that helped to shape my life. And I really believe that these three things will help shape your life as well. If you will dare to open up your heart and open up your mind and a dare, dare to let the Word of God cause you to start thinking about how you too can be a candidate to be blessed, then perhaps you will find some of the same things that I found, that he's really there, that it's really true, and that he's willing to change your life and shape your life. This particular passage always takes me back to when I was a little boy. Let's begin with Matthew chapter 5. We'll read one thing from chapter 5, one thing from chapter 6, and one thing from chapter 7. You know, uh, I'm kind of a very practical person, pragmatic, probably like you. I like things that are real. I like something that really works. I like to do something, put my hand to something. You know, I, I, I like something that, 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 that I can say okay, you know, and uh, uh, something I can buy into. And I like I like to succeed. So many times I choose the easy thing so that I can succeed. I mean, when Brendan and I first got our Apple watches, she set her goal to walk a thousand, no, 10,000 steps a day. I set mine at 70. <laughs> Not once did I go to bed upset. I always far exceeded my goals. She'd be in there walking round and round and round and round and round while I'm in there laying up in bed watching TV. She would say, well, I got to get those steps in. I said, I got mine early. <laughs> Somewhere between midnight and, you know, 7 o'clock in the morning going back and forth to the bathroom. <laughs> I'm being a little facetious, but, you know, the Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. That if you have a goal that you're hoping for and you don't reach it, it'll depress you. But it also says, but when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. So I have learned in life to set 
reasonable, measurable, achievable goals. Something that I believe I can do. And reach for that first. And then reach for the next mile. And then reach for the next mile. And when the desire comes, when you achieve a goal, God has set us in design that we somehow receive energy from achievement. Okay? So I've, I've always kind of felt like this. So early on, I looked at these blesseds. And I wanted to choose one that I felt like would be fairly easy. It looked like most of those blesseds came upon people that were having trouble. Blessed are you who mourn. Well, I don't want to do any mourning to get blessed. <laughs> you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. I don't really want to be poor in spirit either. I mean, I didn't know what it meant, but it didn't sound like the good road. <laughs> blessed are the peacemakers. How in the world can you make peace? I mean, that's a pretty big deal. But I found one in verse 7, chapter 5, verse 7. It says, blessed are the merciful. I thought, you know, that might be pretty easy. Because I had seen my mother, the most merciful person in all the world. My mother was such a merciful person that, that I had bound to have gotten some of her genes in my life. You know, I've never in all my life heard my mother say one bad thing about anybody. Nothing bad. Never. Nothing. And in fact, if you said something bad about somebody, it was somewhere between getting your mouth washed out with soap and getting a spanking. And if anybody said anything negative about anybody or any situation, circumstance, family, people group, anything, my mother, you just all you had to do is just wait one breath and she would cover it with something nice and merciful. She would say something nice about it. I mean, it was just that, you know, it was that greasy, dripping, syrupy stuff that, you know, uh, I've seen people get upset because they just couldn't make my mama agree with them that something was bad about something. You know, uh, so I thought this one should be easy. Well, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And I thought, you know, I would like to be blessed with some mercy in life because evidently I'm a fairly, you know, aggravating kind of person. You know, people didn't like me to be around too much. I needed a little mercy in life. And so, you know, I, mean, I, I don't know anyone who's perfect, but early on I imagine that showing mercy should be one of the easier things to do there. And it would make me a candidate to be blessed by Jesus. Now, uh, it's not always been easy to be merciful. But I can tell you it's always paid off. Some years ago, I had occasion. Something happened in my life, in my family, that was uh, concerning and embarrassing and in that moment, it was difficult, it was weight, and it was pressure. And so the only thing that I knew to do, because I was a public figure and I was the pastor of a church, the only thing I knew to do was to stand up in front of the church and tell the church what had happened and resign as pastor. Because I just figured that, you know, who would want a pastor that couldn't do any better than that? You know, I wasn't in any sin or anything on that line. Don't start, don't start imagining that story. But I stood up in front of the church and I just said, you know, this is the situation and, you know, uh, I'm sorry. I don't know what I can do about it, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, uh, to let you all find a better pastor. Or, well, I came off the platform that day and stood down front 
I didn't know what else to do. And person after person after person, family after family after family came by. And one after the other, they continued saying, Pastor, do you remember when I went through this? Do you remember when I did this? Do you remember when this happened? Do you remember, do you remember when I, when I, Pastor, you told me it was going to be okay. You didn't condemn me. You didn't criticize me. You didn't, you didn't judge me. You said, no, we're going to make it through this. It's going to be okay. You'll be okay. It'll be okay. Don't worry about it. We'll make it through. One after the other continued to encourage me. And I realized as I was there weeping, hugging necks, the Spirit of God spoke to me and told me that those who sow mercy will reap mercy and that I had been so merciful and compassionate, kind and forgiving. It had been a goal in my life and that God was blessing me because of the compassion that I had had on others. It all of a sudden became real. <laughs> I love things that are real. Blessed are the merciful. Let me encourage you today, if you don't have something else to do in life, I'm going to encourage you to start growing a crop of mercy. You're going to need it. I'm going to encourage you to start being more kind and compassionate and forgiving and caring and loving and non-critical and non-judgmental and, and, and stop holding people to a higher account than you would hold yourself and realize that if you were in their shoes, you might could do no better. Start being merciful for your Father in heaven is merciful. Stop with the criticism and the judgment. If you would like to be a candidate to be blessed by God, this one, although not easy, it sure does pay off. Number two, in this same sermon in Matthew chapter 6, I ran across what would become a real principle in my life and something that's been a great benefit. Real direction comes from the Word of God. The Word of God is not just a record of what Jesus said. It's not just a, just a historical account. The Word of God is a roadmap for our lives. It is a plan. It is the B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. Okay? It's instructions for life. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, the Bible says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Well, listen, I was born into a very poor and, uh, you know, in, 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 into what would be a very lower economic strata of life, in a very poor community, in a very uneducated, you know, a world, in a, in, in a world that did not provide opportunities or benefits, and, and no one ever imagined that, would, that, that I would get beyond towel sorting. You know, my dad was raised on a mayonnaise farm. He didn't have any lips. By the year, you know, 14 years old, kid, you know, okay, never mind. <laughs> By the time he was 14, he had already licked his lips off. He had a, they used children to lick labels, mayonnaise jars. He had to go, he had to change jobs. He became a cork miner. You know those little red and white fishing corks? He was a cork miner for a few years and, you know, hoped I would go to towel sorting school. He was trying to get me into the hotel industry. And, uh, <laughs> okay. It was tough. It was uphill to school and uphill back. I can't really tell you that I was conscious of wanting a lot, but I was conscious of needing a lot. 
it seemed that there were a lot of needs around. Everybody I knew needed something. Needed something desperate. And it was hard to get. Not that it really went without. It just never was anything left over. And I decided that perhaps this blessing, if I wanted things added to my life, I really needed to start seeking God's kingdom and not my own. And being right with him. It looked to me as I was looking at this sermon that Jesus was trying to get people into a place where they would be blessed. He was trying to show them what to do so that they could have a better life. And being right with God seemed to be a key to that. And then everything else I needed would be added along the way. And then verse 34 continued, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Somewhere in life, early on in life, I picked up the realization that worry would not add one thing to my life. So consequently, I have not been plagued with war, worry. I have, uh, I, I don't know, I, and, 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 and I'm, you know, I see people who are plagued with worry, but I have not, I, I just have not been. Somewhere there was a decision made. Somewhere there was a, a switch that was flipped. And you know, if you've been around me, you know, I mean, you know, in, the, in, in, in situations that look like, you know, it's, it's, you know, the sky is falling, you know that I never worry. And I tell you, don't worry. That's what I'll tell you. Hey, don't worry about it. You know, yesterday about, about you know, five o'clock, I had a family uh, call me. They wanted to meet with me and they don't go to our church. And so, but they had a situation and they, and, and, and they needed to meet and talk with someone. So I came up to my office and, and I met with them and, 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 you know, uh, they, they, they uh, you know, shared the situation, listened to them. And when we concluded, the one thing I said is, listen, don't worry. Let's not worry. Let's not borrow trouble from tomorrow. Let's just decide we're not going to worry about it. You'll have plenty of time to worry next week. Let's just don't worry. I said, won't you just get a good night's sleep and just let the weekend just, and just don't worry. Well, it sounds like words, but you know, you can embrace those words and you can say okay to that. You can make a commitment. You're not going to worry. I can remember one time someone telling me to just wait till Thursday. If I had anything to worry about, I only worry on Thursdays. And so I started putting off all my, all my concerns till Thursday. And when Thursday got here, I was surprised at how many of those things worked themselves out. And if they were still around on Thursday, I just put them off till another week. Now, it doesn't mean that we should not do our due diligence. It doesn't mean we should not be prepared. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't do what we need to do, but it means we shouldn't worry about it. Worry adds nothing but sleepless nights and stress-filled moments in life. Worry adds nothing to our life. One of the things I have realized is that if God is worried about it, I probably don't need to worry about it. If God is worried about it, he's enough. I don't need to worry. And if he's not worried about it, then why should I worry? If God's not worried about it, I don't need to worry. If he is worried about it, I don't have to worry. If he's not worried about it, I don't need to worry either. And so either way, worry only adds stress. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Don't worry. Just be right with God and seek what is best for God. And be right with him and don't worry. That has been one of the most wonderful things in my life that has helped to shape my life and keep our church and my family and friends on a good path. We just keep going forward. 
It's not that, that, that you know, we're, we're not prepared. It's that we're not worried. Okay? And put it in God's hands. The third thing and the final thing today comes from Matthew chapter 7 in verse 7. This is a key to success. Ask. <laughs> okay. Let's stop there for just a moment. Ask. This does not mean think about it. A lot of people think they're praying when they're thinking. Hello. Have you prayed about it? Oh, I've thought about it a lot. Thinking about it, talking to other people about it is not asking. Okay? Now, many times people will think about it and they will talk to other people about it and they'll wonder about it, but it falls short of asking. Asking is prayer. And asking is a key to receiving. Jesus said, ask and receive that your joy might be full. James said, you have not because you ask not. You know, ask. Call upon me and I will show you. Prayer. Ask. Ask and it will be given you. Seek. Seeking. Come on now. Pursue a little bit. Do your due diligence. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Who do we ask? We ask God. What do we seek? We seek God, his kingdom and his righteousness, being right with him. In whatever situation I'm in, I'm going to seek what it takes for me to please God. There's always something I can do to please God. I may not can change the situation, but there's always something I can do to seek God's pleasure. Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face. Seeking him. Pray, ask, seek. If you'll seek God, you will find a way to please him. You will find, and when you please him, there's a certain peace that comes with pleasing God. There's a certain peace and a certain power that comes with just being right with God. Now, these things are easy. These things are things that a little boy can do. These things are things, just decide that, that, that you're going to be merciful. You're not going to let your tongue be unkind or uncaring or unloving or, 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 or critical or, or judgmental or cruel to people. You're going to be merciful. Okay? Just, just remember that I'm going to do my very best to seek God and to be right with Him. Everything else He'll take care of so I don't have to worry about it. I can work on me. Uh, it doesn't mean I don't need to be prepared, but I can work on me. And then I ask him for what I want. I seek how to please him, and I keep knocking on heaven's door. Just keep knocking. Knock, knock, knock on heaven's door. <laughs> Did you play on that one? I could do that. Knock. <laughs> knock. And the door will be open. The door to God's treasure house. Where his grace has provided everything we need. From salvation to forgiveness to joy to peace to a new world, a new life.